Well, guys, what's good? Hopefully this series has been helpful to you. We're going to continue this series investigating Jesus. And for those in the room who are followers of Jesus, we hope that it continues to reassure you of your faith, of your commitment to Jesus. Uh, For those uh, maybe in the room who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, we hope that this really helps you understand that the center of our faith The only one that can make a difference, make a change in our lives is Jesus. And that's the person we ought to be investigating. Not Christians, not other people, but Jesus. And we hope that you are doing that. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been invited to something, you said no, and then you regretted it later? The other side of this is, have you ever been invited to something and it felt more like an obligation than an opportunity? And then you went anyway, but then you're so glad that you did. When we first started the church, uh, Jenny and I received an offer to attend an FCA dinner. And FCA is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we were uh, invited to attend this dinner. And we had no idea because that meant we had to get childcare. It just was a lot for us so young. And we wanted to say yes to many opportunities as we could as we were starting the church to begin networking with people. And so we reluctantly accepted the invitation. And when we got there, oh, it was evident that it was a fundraising event. And it's like, oh, so during the invitation time, I was looking at the card. Um, I wanted to leave as fast as we could because I felt like it was a bait and switch. But then the other part of me, and, and Jenny and I had discussed this, is let's give some of the extra that we have for a year to support FCA. A couple weeks later, I received a phone call from our local representative, and they were starting this brand new thing called character coaching. And she said, I want you to consider being a character coach at Gale Middle School. She's like, I'll connect you with Coach Carter, and we would love for you to to pursue that. And so I ended up meeting Coach Carter, and we hit it off, and he invited me to be the wrestling character coach. Fast forward six years. I am so glad because we've met some really special people who are a huge part of our church because of that opportunity. I'm glad that Jenny and I did not miss that dinner. So as we continue our series investigating Jesus, the the question we talked about over the last two weeks to set up our series is this. If the Bible provides an explanation to us about God, his character, his nature, who he is, it also explains our purpose, like why we are here then why are people doubting? Why are people deconverting? Why are people deconstructing? Why are people dismissing faith? Like what if our faith, the foundation of our faith, is not whether or not the the earth was created in six literal days or the earth is only about 6,000 years old or, or the Bible is without error. It's reliable. It's accurate. What if the foundation of our faith isn't those things? What if the foundation of our faith is anchored and tethered to someone and something far more substantial, more, uh, more sustainable, and something that we can investigate. And my hope is that as you kick the tires on what we're investigating, on the person that we're investigating, that hopefully it just assures you and secures that, man, I made the right decision by following Jesus. 
See, the Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the inerrancy and the accuracy of our Bible. We believe that. We believe that our Bible is completely inerrant. It's accurate. It's reliable. But our faith rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, doing the impossible. Because without Jesus, without the resurrection, we won't have this. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that this took hundreds of years to assemble. It was written, and then for a long time, it was just about 21 New Testament writings that the church used. This was unique. This was different. And listen, if you're curious about faith, returning to faith, or you find yourself losing faith, here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Isn't, is there a God? Isn't, was the earth created in six literal days? Is the Bible inerrant? Is it accurate? Those are good conversations to have. And we as a church believe that, yes, the Bible is without error. It's infallible. We believe those things. However, the question I want you to ask is, is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they wrote, is it reliable accounts of actual events? And if so, if what they wrote is true, then we have no reason not to believe. We have no reason not to believe. And so we've been looking and following Luke's account of Jesus' life. He wrote this biography of Jesus and Luke was not even a Jew. He wasn't even one of the 12 disciples. In fact, he was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. He was a Greek from Syria. And he becomes a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. And this whole story, the life of Jesus, just captivates him so much that he wants to write about it. So he begins to investigate this. And notice what he writes. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those from first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke is letting us know, I'm not writing religious literature. I'm documenting someone's life and telling someone's story. It's a story that took place during my lifetime. I want you to know the story. And he's writing this to Theophilus, who most likely may have financed him to do this. So Luke, who's a doctor, becomes an investigative reporter. He's letting people know, listen, I did this. Yes, I met with Matthew. I met with John. I met with Paul. I met with these guys, and I wrote down the things that they learned from Jesus. I spent time with John, with Peter, with Matthew during Jesus's ministry. I spoke with Paul about some of the things he experienced after the resurrection with his situations with Jesus. He's like, listen, Theophilus, I want you to know that everything you've been taught is true. That you can lay your head down at night knowing that everything is true. Because our faith is anchored in something that happened. So last week we talked about how Luke begins to introduce us to John, Jesus' cousin, who is like the warm-up act, the, the pregame 
to Jesus's ministry. So before Jesus goes public in his ministry, we are introduced to John. And John sets the tone. And now notice what happens after John sets the tone and Jesus becomes public in his ministry. Notice what happens. News about him, speaking of Jesus, spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So everywhere where Jesus went, crowds gathered to listen to him. And when Jesus launched his ministry, people liked him, though he wasn't like them. They felt comfortable crowding around and listening. And in this context, what Luke is doing is he's introducing us to Jesus's, one of his most famous followers, and that's Peter. And after hearing Jesus speak at a local synagogue, Simon Peter invites Jesus over to his home. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals her, and the word of it spreads throughout the town. So at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And so back then, as Jews would celebrate Shabbat or Sabbath, they were not allowed to work. And carrying was considered work, and work was forbidden on Shabbat or Sabbath. So as Shabbat or Sabbath was ending, people were allowed to carry sick friends and family to Jesus for healing. So why the healing miracles? Like, why the healing miracles? One of the most important things that Jesus taught was who he claimed to be. In the first century, disease was associated with sin. And that's why you hear some of the stories that people are saying, well, what did my son or what did my daughter do to get sick? Or other stories we hear, well, obviously their parents sinned. Sin was associated with disease. And Jesus would later associate his power over illness and disease with his power to overcome and forgive sin. So at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, which was a miracle within itself because towns had very narrow streets with 20 people living in one-room houses, and most blocks consisted of four homes facing a common courtyard. And this is why Jesus left at daybreak. Before people started waking up, before they started getting ready for the day, he wanted out. He needed time to rest, to pray. And people went looking for him, and they finally found him, and they begged him to stay. And notice what Jesus says. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Listen, guys, I would love to stay, but I can't stay I need to spread my message to other towns too. The reason why they wanted him to stay is because it was so good. Life was better. The kingdom of God was coming and it was so good. When God was in charge, life was better. And if the version of Christianity that you grew up with didn't strike you as good news, it's most likely not Jesus's message of the good news. If you think the rule and reign of God is something that would be bad for you, like I've heard people say, well, I, I, don't, want, I don't want God in control of my life, and then you wouldn't understand God as Jesus presented him. See, the kingdom of God was good news when Jesus talked about it. When people experienced the kingdom of God, it was good for them. And so one day, 
as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And this is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you can see from one end to the other, uh, or one side to the other side. That's a little bit better. And it's eight miles across, and it's 14 miles long. The people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Did you notice what Luke did? He equated the words of Jesus to the word of God. Je- Jesus claimed to be God, and Luke is, a, Luke is confirming, yes, Jesus is God And it was mid-morning as the fishermen fished at night because the water was cooler and fish would come to the surface to feed on the top. Now in the morning, they pulled their nets out, they cleaned them, they cleaned out everything, and they dried everything out, and they began to store their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. I'm sure this was not a coincidence. This was Simon Peter who had been listening to Jesus earlier, Remember, this was not their first conversation. This wasn't the first time they met because at synagogue, he met Jesus. He invited Jesus, you know, over and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus asked him to pull out a little from the shore and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Simon's not going anywhere. As Jesus is preaching to the crowd, think like an amphitheater. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Now, what Jesus says is unexpected. What he says to do is unexpected, but it's something Simon can do. There are moments where Jesus is going to ask you to do something because you can do it. Because it's something you can do. And Jesus asked Peter to take a step. It was a doable step, but it was unreasonable and it was costly. Like it would require Peter and his crew to re-clean their nets in the heat of the day when they were already exhausted from fishing all night. They just wanted to go to sleep. And there was another reason why this was unreasonable, this, why this was unreasonable, and this is what Simon says. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He's like, listen, Jesus, listen, this, this, like, we went fishing all night and we didn't catch anything. What's going to happen if we go fishing now in the daylight? Like, people are watching. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want you to be embarrassed. But look, look, Jesus, I'm willing to do it. Like, I've seen you heal my mother-in-law. I've seen you heal people in the town. Like, I've heard about it. I've seen it. And, and, and listen, I'm willing to do it because you, Jesus, have done some pretty incredible things. And he says, because you say so. So let's say that all together. Because you say so. See, this statement has the potential to change the trajectory of your entire life. This is where it all changes. Jesus wasn't asking Peter to believe something. He was asking him to do something. Jesus knew if Peter would say yes, that his faith would intersect with God's faithfulness and it would change his life forever. And Peter thought, well, based on what I know, what I've heard and what you've done, I will let down the nets. And Peter knew 
just enough to take a next step. He didn't know what, what would hang in the balance of that next step, and neither do you. But isn't that true? Like, when we've been invited to follow Jesus, when we've been invited to say yes to him, he's done the impossible. He's done the incredible. He's done some amazing things. And look, Peter could have remained nameless, forgotten, a first century fisherman, but instead he got this. <laughs> yeah, that's a picture of the basilica. Now, of course, he didn't get that, but it was, of course, named after him. When you think of the 12 disciple, disciples of Jesus, yeah, Peter is like the first one that comes on the list. He is well known. Guys, we never know. We may never know. We may never know that if we say yes to Jesus, what could happen? And Luke continues, he says, when they had done so. So when they had rolled and loaded the nets, gathered their crew, rolled out to the deep water, they lowered their nets, stared at the crowd who were staring at them from the shore, thinking, what on earth are they doing? Not when they believed so, but when they had done so. And this is what Luke wants his audience. This is what he wants Theophilus and whoever's reading this letter, this biography of Jesus, what he wants them to know is that Jesus has called us to do, to live, to respond to God who is active and faithful in our lives and we don't want to miss it. So they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I just imagine their facial expression. Imagine the crowd looking. Imagine the people in the boat. Everyone is stunned because this is not normal. So why the, why the nature of miracles? And the point of Jesus' ministry was not just what he taught, but who he claimed to be. Jesus was God in flesh. He was not merely a teacher. He was not merely a reformer. He was God in the flesh. And so when Simon Peter saw this, he said to the crew, boys, we're taking the next few weeks off. We are rich. And then Peter offered Jesus this three-year contract with 30% commission and a non-compete. <laughs> no. When Simon Peter saw he saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I believe without a doubt that Peter doubted. I believe that he figured that this was not going to work, that this was going to be embarrassment, and I felt that he felt so much shame and guilt that he, did, he, he doubted. And notice that he changes Jesus' title from Master to Lord. See, Lords had authority and ownership over things. And Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, but not just over nature, not just over diseases, not just over sicknesses, but him. He is putting himself under Jesus' authority. And Peter was inches away from Jesus, but nowhere close. Jesus, listen, if you only knew. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do, I do know. I do know you. And Peter assumed that God disses himself from people like him. Religious leaders did that, so why wouldn't Jesus? But Jesus was different. 
And see, this is why Luke wrote this to Theophilus. This is why he wanted as many people to know this story as possible. This is why many people wrote about the life of Jesus. Why? Because someone had to tell the story. Luke would say, this is why I had to tell the story. This is, how I, this is why I had to write the story. That not only does God not distance himself, God invites himself in our lives. Jesus said to, to Peter, take me fishing. He told Zacchaeus, the wee little man in the, in the sycamore tree, he said, take me to your house for lunch. And Luke's message is that God has come near to draw near. But Jesus was so much like us, and Luke points out that most folks didn't recognize him, especially the self-righteous. And Jesus, he was able to manip- manipulate circumstances to be near people it was so remarkable that luke recorded it to share with every generation and then jesus said to simon don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people do you know why we're so familiar with peter's name is because he said yes to jesus he became a follower of jesus And he fished for people just as Jesus told him he would. And so they pulled back their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. And you would have too. You would have too. If he'd done something like that for you, and according to Luke and Peter, Jesus did more than that for you. Peter's like, listen, he did a fish trick for me, but he did so much more for you. See, years later after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, Peter reflected on that dreadful day, what he witnessed as Jesus was crucified and what it meant. And here's what he wrote. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He said, guys, I saw it with my own eyes. I was in the back of the crowd. Jesus was the same then as he always was with us. He had the power to stop it, yet he chose to go with it. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted his heavenly father as he invited us to do. And in that moment, Peter writes, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And he says, listen, listen that's why we follow. Not because of what Jesus will do for you, but because of what he's already done for you. And Luke wanted us to know that what Peter experienced firsthand, that he was invited to follow, we've been invited to follow. And when Peter's simple act of faith intersected with God's faithfulness, something happened in Peter. And Peter would say to us, I want you to accept that invitation. And when you do, something will happen in you as well. See, some invitations feel a lot like obligations than opportunities, right? Following Jesus may feel at times that way because it's so inconvenient for us. But if Luke is telling us the truth, nothing could be further from the truth. See, following Jesus will be inconvenient. Refusing to follow Jesus is going to be more inconvenient down the road. Your greatest regret would have been avoided if you had been following Jesus in that season of your life. I've had so many people tell me, man, if I had only been in community, if I've only been attending church regularly, if I've only been 
prayed, if I only did reading my Bible, I would not have done this. I would not have said this. I would not have regretted that. See, your Heavenly Father invites you to follow Him because He's the author of life. And it will cost you. But choosing to follow Jesus will be the best decision you ever make. So what's your next step? What's your version of take me fishing? Is it something you can do, but you're resisting? I don't know what it is for you, but my, my hope for you is that your response will be, but because you say so. But because you say so. Guys, you never know what hangs in the balance. Luke and Peter would tell you, trust Jesus and follow It's the invitation of a lifetime. And in that invitation, and if you accept it, you will never regret. You will never regret it. Because it changes your life. And we're going to pick up Luke's account of the life of Jesus right there next week. But before you go, there's three questions to keep the conversation going. Number one, have you ever acted in response to God's prompting? And if so, what happened? Have you ever intentionally disregarded something you felt God prompted you to do? If so, what happened? And number three, what is your next step? What is God inviting you to do? Is it to investigate further? Is it to read that book? Is it to participate in starting point, financial peace, or get baptized? Or maybe it's just simply to apologize to a spouse, a coworker, a son or daughter, a parent, a friend, or maybe whatever it is, whatever it is, Whatever it is, do it. Follow like Peter and you'll be glad you did. It's the invitation of a lifetime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible opportunity to read something that tried to be destroyed, but yet your word can never be destroyed. And we're so thankful for it. We're so thankful that the copies that Luke wrote survived and we're able to read it almost 2,000 years later. We're so incredibly thankful that Jesus invites us to follow not because of what he will do but because of what he's done for us and that he is worth following as our Lord, as our King. So for those of us in the room who are still investigating. Father, I ask that you will help us to continue to investigate, that our hearts would be open to Jesus's invitation and we would say yes. For those of us who are followers of Jesus that help us and remind us that this is a lifetime journey. This is something that, not a one and none, but this is something we need to constantly do. And Father, if there's something that we need to do that we haven't done, or maybe we've kind of resisted to do, I ask that you would forgive us. I ask that we would begin doing what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.